It's great to be here with you yet again. I do want to encourage you next Sunday to participate in our potluck and fifth Sunday breakout. This is something new that we're trying to experience uh, a new way of learning, an opportunity to learn together, and we have four great opportunities. It's also a great time to invite your neighbors. Maybe they're struggling with one of those areas, or they want to engage their kids in devotionals, or they want to learn how they can have a closer faith themselves. Uh, so I would highly encourage you guys to use that as an opportunity to invite your neighbors and, and to be a part of what we're doing here. When we were seeing that song, I, I just, I wanted to ask you guys, when we say revival, that we want your kingdom here, when you sing those things, do you really mean it? When you say, I want revival, that's saying that I want things to be different. That I don't want the world to remain the same. I don't want my life to be what it was yesterday. And when we say we want to see God's kingdom here, that means that Jesus has to be our king. And that we need to get into that whole lordship of Jesus and start doing what Jesus asks us to do, not just on Sunday mornings, but throughout the week. So I ask you, do you really want revival? Do you really want an encounter of the Holy Spirit in a new way, in a powerful way, where you would see change in your life and the life of your neighbors? We see a story of that in our scripture this morning. It comes from Acts chapter 4. This is right after Peter and John had been preaching, and all the disciples had been preaching and healing, and uh, this was making the religious leaders upset because they were pushing the status quo. They were the same religious leaders who had just killed Jesus. That was only 50 days before this. They're like, hey, we thought we ended that movement. When you kill a Messiah, usually that's the end of it, but somehow this belief in Jesus had continued on after his death. Some of his disciples, some of his believers and followers had preached that he had resurrected from the dead. Of course, they didn't believe that. And this thing just kept growing and more and more. And Peter preaches a sermon and 3,000 people come to know Jesus because of the power of the Holy Spirit. That's revival. And so they arrest Peter and John. They take them in front of the Sanhedrin. And they tell them, okay, we'll make you a deal. You stop talking about Jesus and we won't kill you. And I love what Peter says. He says, you know, I have a choice in life. I can do what men tell me to do or I can do what God tells me to do. And I will choose today and this day forward to do what God tells me to do. And then they release them back to the, the followers of Jesus and they gather together. And this is what it says, starting with verse 23. After the release, Peter and John returned to the brothers and sisters and reported the, everything the chief priests and elders had said. They listened, they lifted their voices in unison to God Master, you are the one who created the heaven, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. You are the one that spoke by the Holy Spirit through our ancestor David, your servant. Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth took their stand, and the rulers gathered together as one against the Lord and his Christ. Indeed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and Israelites did gather in the city against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your your power and plan had already determined would happen. Now, Lord, take note of their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with complete confidence. I think it's a fascinating thing that they pray there. They don't pray, God, keep us safe. They don't pray, you know, take this burden away from us. They say, enable your servants to speak your word with complete confidence, confidence that will get them killed. 
And then they said, stretch out your hand to bring healing and enable signs and wonders to be performed through the name of of Jesus, your holy servant. They didn't want it to stop, even though they'd just been arrested and threatened with death. They didn't want it to stop. They wanted to see revival. They wanted to see more. They wanted to see more healing and more people brought into God's kingdom. After they prayed, the place where they gathered was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking God's word with confidence. When we ask God for kingdom things, when we ask for God for boldness and confidence so that we can go out into this world and share the good news, when we ask God for the Holy Spirit, God will answer, and God will give you that power, just like he did for Peter and John and the disciples and those first Christians. Today we're talking about the Holy Spirit, and I think unfortunately Francis Chan, a Christian pastor and writer, you may have heard of him, calls the Holy Spirit the forgotten God in the modern church, and I think he's absolutely right. We need more of the Holy Spirit, but for one reason or another, we have decided that maybe the Holy Spirit is a little uncomfortable for us. Because whenever you read about the Holy Spirit, there is wind and there is fire. and These amazing things happen and this life change happens. And I think the church has gotten uncomfortable with that. We've gotten comfortable because you can't control the Holy Spirit. You can't control it. Once the Holy Spirit gets within you, God is going to take you somewhere, ask you to do something that you probably don't want to do. So more walls we can build to keep the Holy Spirit out, the safer that we feel. We pray today that we would see revival. Sometimes I don't think we think about what we're singing. If you want revival in your life, that means you need more of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has existed with God since the beginning of time. Genesis 1, 2 tells us that the breath of God hovered over the waters. This is, this is the part of God that God uses to create. God breathed that breath into Adam, the first human. And now Jesus and God are breathing the Holy Spirit into his disciples so that they can start the church. The Holy Spirit is all-powerful and all-present and all-knowing. And what's amazing is that God sends the Holy Spirit to dwell within you. When you say yes to Jesus, you're given the Holy Spirit. You are literally a temple where God dwells. How incredible is that? The glory of God dwells within you. That is an amazing thing. And yet we want to push that Holy Spirit away. We want to push God away because that God makes us uncomfortable. That God is going to challenge us. That God is going to ask us to do things. We may see the miraculous. I think that most of the church doesn't want to see the miraculous. Because if we see God's miracles, we see prophecy, we see people speaking in tongues, then we cannot deny what God is trying to do in our life. And we like our life nice and orderly. God contained with this wild fire and wind and breath that we see. Let's look at the, when, when Jesus, when God sent the Holy Spirit to the disciples. This is from Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. When Pentecost Day arrived, they were all together in one place. First of all, that's incredibly important. They were all together in one place. Jesus says, where two or three are gathered in my name, I am with you. And same thing with the Holy Spirit. When we gather together, the Holy Spirit is with us. The Holy Spirit is with you always. There's something about the people of God gathering together and worshiping God together where we can sense the Holy Spirit. 
And we can sense it move within us. Suddenly a sound from heaven like a howling of a fierce wind filled the entire house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be individual fire, flames of fire alighting on each one of them. Now think about that. They saw this fire above and around each and every one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak other languages as the Spirit enabled them to speak. So we have this moment Jesus had told the, the disciples, the apostles, to go to Jerusalem and wait until this moment happened. And then this rushing wind, the sound of fire and wind and flame, and all of a sudden these disciples are starting to, to speak in other languages. It would be as if we went into a metropolitan, metropolitan city like Chicago, and you have people speaking all different languages from all different cultures, and all of a sudden the people of God were speaking and people were hearing it in their own language. This was a powerful outpouring of God. And Peter stands up and he preaches, and 3,000 people that day joined the movement, joined the church, committed their lives to Jesus. Pentecost is a really interesting day. We in the church have come to, to think of it as a Christian holiday, but it existed long before Jesus was even human. Uh, it's a Jewish holiday, and it represents two things. One, that the people of God would bring the first fruits of the harvest. This is when they would bring those first fruits to sacrifice to God, to the temple. And the second thing, this is 50 days after Passover, Passover being when, when God saved the people of Israel from the Egyptians. 50 days later, Moses went up to the mountain and received the law and came down and gave it to the people. So Pentecost represents the receiving of the law. So in the same way that Moses went up the mountain and received the law and came and gave it to the people, Jesus ascends to heaven and we are sent the Holy Spirit. Except now it's not just something that we read, it's literally written on our hearts. The Holy Spirit is the new law. These words are incredibly important. We should test everything we believe out of Scripture. But Christianity is more than this book because you have God within you. You have the law written on your heart. You have the Holy Spirit guiding your every act. And that made the, this the first fruit of this new creation. Just as God had breathed in life into humanity, God was breathing in life into the new creation, the church, and they changed the world. So what is the Holy Spirit? It's one person of the Trinity. We believe in God the Father who is not God the Son who is not the Holy Spirit, who is not God the Father, but all three are three in one in God. We were talking about how, in our Bible study this morning, how this is a dynamic monotheism, because sometimes we need to relate to God as a father, right? We need that father, we need that presence. Sometimes we need a holy God that is going to call us to account and hold us accountable. Sometimes we need a Jesus, a friend, a brother who is going to walk alongside us. And sometimes we need a Holy Spirit that is within us and guiding us. What a wonderful gift. And the three, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are in this divine relationship that has existed since the beginning of everything. But the Holy Spirit is our counselor. We're told that the Holy Spirit that resides within us helps us to make wise decisions. So it, it guides us in every single moment of every single day. Jesus challenges us to live a holy life. In fact, our goal is to live in perfection, to sin no more, to be holy, to love our neighbor as, as we love ourselves, and to love God 
with all of our heart, mind, soul, strength, and self. And that's a really difficult thing. But thankfully, God provides the Holy Spirit within us to allow us to know right from wrong. If you ever get that little voice in your head that says, you know, don't do that. That oven is hot. Don't touch it. (laughs) That's a mistake. You're going to regret it. Listen to that voice. That's the Holy Spirit guiding you and directing us to let us know what sin is and what is right and what is wrong. But the Holy Spirit is more than that. The Holy Spirit empowers us. Just like it did for the disciples on that day of Pentecost so long ago, that power they received is the same power that you can receive today. I believe that with every fiber of my being. There's nothing that says that the disciples were the only one who were gonna be empowered by the Holy Spirit. There's nothing that says that they're the only ones that could preach and 3,000 people be saved. There's nothing that says that only the disciples were people who were gonna be able to heal. You too can receive that power. You too can be given gifts of prophecy and speaking and encouragement and hospitality and healing and speaking in tongues. These are not just gifts for before. We just don't seem to want those gifts. And so we don't ask for them. So church, you need to ask for these gifts. But that same Holy Spirit also encourages us to live differently. In Galatians, it talks about how there are fruits of the flesh and fruits of the spirit. And these are the fruits of 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 the flesh. Sexual immorality, moral corruption, doing whatever feels good, idolatry, drug use, casting spells, hating, fighting, obsession, losing your temper, competitive opposition, conflict, selfishness, group rivalry, jealousy, jealousy, drunkenness, partying, and other things like that. Those are the fruits of the flesh. That's who we were before we had the Holy Spirit. Now listen to the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, self-control, goodness, and gentleness. I don't know about you, but I want a lot more of that second list. The first list sounds great sometimes. That's why we choose to do all those awful things. They have dire consequences for our relationship with each other and our relationship with God. But love, joy, peace, goodness, self-control, gentleness, there is no law against these. These are good things that we can live out every single moment of our life. And this is the life that Jesus calls us to live through the power of the Holy Spirit. So how do we receive this gift of the Holy Spirit? We have to ask for it. We have to wait. And then we have to respond. We have to ask for it. Paul, in many of his letters, prays over the people and says, I hope that you will receive this gift of the Holy Spirit, of wisdom and revelation. A lot of times Paul will go into an area and they'll believe Jesus and he'll pray over them and then they will receive the Holy Spirit. I don't know exactly how all this works together, but we need to ask for the Holy Spirit. We need to ask for that power. We need to ask for a a greater helping of it so we can do what God has called us to do in this world. And then sometimes we have to wait. And I know this is incredibly frustrating. Jesus' disciples, they are gathered around Jesus right before he he ascends to heaven. And then when will you establish your kingdom, God? And Jesus tells them it's not for you to know. But go to Jerusalem and wait. Now that doesn't mean while you're waiting for the Holy Spirit that you just don't do anything as a Christian. It doesn't mean you ignore your neighbor. It doesn't mean you ignore the homeless person. It doesn't mean that you don't act with love and kindness and self-control. You live it as best you can. 
But if, you, if God is asking you to do something powerful, we're embarking on a new journey. We have to wait until we receive the Holy Spirit. We have to wait. But then once we are given it, and I believe that if we ask for the Holy Spirit and we truly desire that for our lives, we ask for these gifts, God will be faithful and God will send the Holy Spirit in your life. And so then we have to respond to whatever it is the Holy Spirit is calling us to do. In this story of the apostles, the disciples, it was for Peter to stand up and preach and for 3,000 people, 3,000 people to say yes to Jesus. I was thinking this week about my first sermon that I ever preached. I was 16 years old. It was in my home church. I felt called by God to do it, but you know it was terrible. It was five minutes long. I don't even really remember what it was about. It was about prayer. And I was shaking to death every minute of it. And then I was thinking about when I first preached my sermons in seminary after I learned a little bit of what I was supposed to do. And I stood up there in front of my classmates and I gripped the pulpit so they couldn't see me shaking. And I was terrified. I was terrified. It is only through the gift of the Holy Spirit that I'm able to stand up here in front of you. This is, this is a horrifying thing to do, to stand up and bear your soul to people every single week. It's terrifying, trust me. It's not easy. Whenever you see someone up here doing it, know that this is not an easy thing to do. Only through the power of the Holy Spirit. And that doesn't even compare to what Peter was doing. Because 50 days before this, 50 days before this, I think we can all remember what we were doing 50 days ago, right? Right? No, maybe not. I don't know. 50 days before this, Jesus was being arrested. Jesus was being crucified. And on that night in which Jesus gave himself up for us, do you remember what Peter was doing? He was denying Jesus. Three times he asked if he's a follower of Jesus, and three times he denies Jesus. This is the same location. Not much has changed. It's the same people. It's the same people that were yelling, crucify him, are now saying yes to Jesus. This is the same Peter who denied Christ three times because he was afraid of his life. And he stands up boldly in Jerusalem and he preaches a sermon where 3,000 people come to follow Jesus. Then he's arrested that he's arrested and they warn him. They say, if you do not stop what you're doing, we will kill you. He says, I cannot listen to humans. I have to listen to God. And then he goes and with the other followers of Jesus, they pray that they can speak the word of God with even more confidence and that there will be more healings and that the kingdom of God will come more fully knowing that it's gonna lead to his death. What is the difference does the Holy Spirit make? It takes a coward who's not willing to stand up for anything and makes him one of the greatest people of our faith. Jesus says, you're the rock on which I will build my church. You say, we want to see revival. You say you want to see God's kingdom. Do you really mean it? Do you really know what you're asking for? In the name of the Father, 
and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.